everyone. Welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review Podcast. I'm Lou Rosenfeld, and my guest today, Giles Colborn. Hi, Giles. Hi, Lou. It's great to have you on the show. I assume you. you are in London today? Actually, I'm in Bath, which is um, much more kind of refined and Georgian and about an hour and a half outside of London. And uh, it's it's me uh, at the top of my house and the birds and the sirens going off in the in the city below. Uh, I'm going to have to visit you. I was there once in 1985. I imagine it's a little different, and, and especially in the sense that I know someone there now. But yeah. uh, for now, I'm going to have to settle just to, to talking uh, remotely with you. Um, Giles is speaking at our virtual conference on April 25th, To Be Designed. It's a... A uh, trip to the near future of design that uh, Giles and six other really smart people are going to take us on. And um, if you don't know Giles, he is co-founder of uh, CX Partners, an agency which is, I believe, based in what London and uh, uh, yeah, London and, and the Southwest. Okay, and uh, a very influential uh, agency in the UK, and uh, you've been at that for gosh. Uh, 10, 15 years now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this, I think, is our 13th year. Wow, that's impressive. I imagine some things have changed since then. One of the things along the way was uh, you wrote a book that uh, it's, been, it's been a really great book uh, called Simple and Usable. And uh, I'm really happy to uh, let the world know that uh, a second edition is coming out. Uh, Charles just mentioned that to me a moment ago. Uh, looking forward to that. When, when are we going to see that, Charles? That should be out, I guess, um, early fall. Excellent. A question I have for you is, I know at our conference, you're gonna be talking, you're giving a talk called Designing Conversations. And uh, it, how did you get into conversational design? And is that a, a, a natural uh, segue from simple and usable in some respect? Um, you know, so, the psychology of conversation is something that's just been coming up again and again and again um, for me in in interaction design. I mean, that's you know, what we're doing in interaction design. We're we're creating conversations with machines, and generally, you know, that's that's been a metaphor. That's been, you know, the the idea of the conversation is really yes, but you're a human being, and at the other end, there's there's buttons and squares on the screen. And what happened? A couple of years ago is is I started to think about okay well, what's what's the direction of travel of our industry and you know running a, a, a consultancy it behoves me to, to try and look ahead and think about okay well where is is this all going and what's the world going to look like uh, in a few years time our clients ask that and also you know we've got to think about well how do we plan for skills how do we develop the new skills and very quickly it became clear to me that um, voice uh, and um, text uh, input were, were going to be absolutely critical um, because suddenly we're surrounding ourselves not just with you know computing devices are getting smaller and smaller and smaller um, these days a lot of times I can get a, a day's work done on a, on a smartphone that's incredible but increasingly I'm in environments where you know, the environment itself is smart, all full of smart devices. And the only uh, efficient way of interacting with, with all of that stuff is to, uh, is, is via voice. 
uh, and that presents a whole new set of challenges. You know, I'm really happy to hear that. I feel vindicated because just yesterday we were having a conversation around the dinner table uh, and we were arguing, my wife and my 13-year-old daughter and I, about whether or not um, she, our daughter should be writing her papers on her, her uh, Samsung phone. And uh, my wife thinks it's insane. My daughter doesn't, and actually, you know, she showed us what she'd written, and it was, it was pretty good. Uh, yet, they both think I'm insane, because I talk to my phone all the time. I'm always doing voice input, and I think that's much more efficient and logical than typing on a phone, at least anything long form. Uh, what's, is, is, are we at a point where the, there's sort of no convention in how, or the, at least conventional way of thinking or psychology about this stuff now? I mean, I, I thought what I'm doing makes much more sense. Uh, is it still really up in the air? Oh, I think it's completely up in the air. I mean, I think, you know, again, that's something that, you know, if you're designing for the future, you can't make a hard bet. Chances are, all of those things are, are going to be important in the future. Yes, you know, you're going to be um, talking to your to your devices and inputting more via text, but there's loads of environments where that's, um, that's a really awkward thing to do. So, um, you know, when you look at people's preference for using um, voice input, um, generally, um, they, you know, the, the best environments for that are environments that are more private and less distracting. So uh, in the home, that's easily you know, people's most preferred environment for, for voice input. A car is second, um, and that's a, that's a private environment, a little more distracting. And you know, then you get into just out and about. There's a kind of a privacy um, to, being, to being on the street. And least favorite is in the workplace where there's lots of distractions, where you, you know, there's possibly things you don't want to be, um, be saying out loud. And it's, it's kind of awkward and, and, you know, embarrassing for a lot of people, especially in an open plan office to be, to be talking. So that, that kind of continuum um, is, is you know, really clearly defined by, um, you know, the sort of social convention and, you know, how many other things you're, 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 tr- you're trying to deal with. Um, while you're doing the voice input. But back to your point, um, I think, you know, multiple ways of inputting um, and interacting are assuredly the future. They, they all make sense and they, they each have their place. So it's, it's not just an issue of designing conversations that have, uh, you know, maybe some sort of syntax and some uh, or basic grammar, but it's also the sort of uh, designing uh, the transitions or pivots between voice input or voice or, or conversational interaction versus keyboard interaction or you know uh, other forms of interaction is that part yeah. of the challenge exactly designing each layer all the way down so the the conversation itself yes designing the the seams but as you move between um, you know, between input media, you know, because you're, you know, you you are going to walk between one room where it's voice and then sit down in the next room and pick it up at a keyboard. Um, designing the services and designing the information in ways that um, that they can be deployed uh, across uh, across multiple environments. Designing the organisations that sit behind that and and are able to kind of make sense of that and you know and. You know, manage the kind of backstage of uh, of those services seamlessly. 
each well, layer. Well, we, I mean, like, you know, it's typical that we, we go narrow and deep when there's a new technology. So I imagine a lot of people in the design world are working on, like, really fleshing out the syntax and, and other aspects of, of designing conversations uh, through, uh, you know, through voice interfaces. Are, are we ready, or is that far enough along that we can kind of step back and, and start integrating, uh, you know, voice interactions with those other types of traditional interactions. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just wondering, is it, are we far enough along? Do we, do we understand uh, the, the conversational space well enough to start integrating it with other spaces? Um, I think it's inevitable that it's that it's integrated with those other spaces. Um, you know, just uh, I think about you know the the common uses that that um, everybody listening to this podcast will be familiar with. You know, okay, Google, get me directions home. I mean, that's uh, that's a voice interface that moves into an entirely graphical um, interface with um, you, you know with your phone acting as uh, as as GPS in your car. Um, so you know, and possibly giving you uh, voice instructions if that's your if that's your preference. Um, so I I think again that's that's something you you come across very early in this that there are great advantages to being able to to have these sort of multimodal um, inputs. And I think one of the things you know as, as we at CX Partners started um, working on concepts uh, around this was almost you know within days we the concepts were coming out multimodal and what you found was that there was this sort of dialogue going on between the user and the device and there was a, a visualization of the thing that was being collaborated on on screen so you know you're talking about booking a train journey and um, the ticket or the itinerary is building uh, on screen as, as you're doing that and that makes a lot of sense so it's unavoidable to to be thinking multimodal while you're trying to get your feet wet with conversational interface design and you mentioned a couple areas though where it, it's already a pretty important challenge which is uh, the home mm. and uh, the car what are some of the early lessons that uh, you know you wish you would have known uh, three four five years ago and that you can maybe uh, share with other people that are just getting into the space. So for me, kind of you know, thinking about what does this mean, I, I'm coming at it from the, from the point of view of, okay, well, I, you know, I have a couple of studios um, full of uh, um, designers, and, and we have to think about what does this mean for design practice? You know, def- design practice as it is today it has you know, just changed radically when uh, the smartphone uh, in its current form appeared because things that were at the periphery of design practice suddenly came right into the center and you couldn't avoid uh, the need for design systems and and atomic design because the idea that that anybody was going to design out a huge deck of wireframes just became you know, economically impossible when you're designing for for multiple uh, multiple devices. You had to rethink it, and so that's really been my question: has been, okay, what's this going to do to design practice? And I think methods of of prototyping has has been has turned out to be really important. It's you know you can't design um, conversations that that feel natural and 
and efficient without being able to to prototype them and play them back um, really quickly. It's it's a nice idea to think you can you know do the whole thing with post its, but it's it's so unlike conversation. Um, and so being able to prototype um, whether that's kind of Wizard of Ozing the whole thing and and um, you know screen scraping um, conversations that you, you know, where one person is playing a bot and one person is is playing the user. Uh, off of um, you know web chat interfaces is a great place to start, but having a um, a development tool um, or a sandbox in which you can uh, you can play and you can start to run your uh, your designs turns out to be really important. So prototyping is a big challenge, and it sounds like you know there's not necessarily any off the shelf tools or, or anything you're you're going to recommend at this point. There's an explosion of um, of tools and uh, and of options um, so there's not you know one thing I can recommend because they're not out there there's not one thing I can recommend because oh my goodness you know um, that would that would almost be pretending that um, that I had some kind of comprehensive view of what is a you know an exploding field I would say the things that you're looking for are you know well it's it's prototyping so you need to think about how can I get a tool which allows me to very rapidly uh, iterate may not be um, the same as a development tool likely you know likely will I, I don't think i could i could you know put my hand on my heart and say this is the one and i'm interested to hear you know from people about what their favorites are and we looked around and you know we found a, a, a development partner who have a, a terrific platform and and we chose them Again, because we were thinking about some of the some of the things that really annoy us about voice interfaces, and they have uh, solutions for that. Um, you know, the the most annoying thing about voice interfaces being you tell your computer something, and the next um, turn in the conversation, it's like it never heard you. You know, so book me a a, a flight to um, to Singapore on on Tuesday. Uh, no, make that Wednesday. You know, what do you mean Wednesday? What is this thing that you're ha- you're talking about on Wednesday? I have no idea. Um, that turn of conversation is so common. You know, people change their minds. Oh, but not when you're dealing with a voice interface. You can't because you have to go right back to the beginning. Uh, and we wanted a tool that um, that helped us deal with that problem. You know, that that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, you're you're talking about memory uh, uh, and. You know, obviously, it's a sensitive issue. Uh, as our privacy gets chipped away, we don't necessarily want systems to know much about us. And yet, I know how annoyed I get when I'm using Google Maps, and I want to type home or work as a starting point, and it doesn't remember. And it's like, wait, I'm logged in, and I keep adding it. Why don't? Why won't it remember this? And that's a challenge that you think would be fairly straightforward. It's probably not so straightforward. Uh, and now we're talking about the kind of memory that we expect from a conversational partner, only it's not a human partner. Uh, that sounds like a pretty daunting challenge. Uh, what is okay to remember? And, and then, you know, what are the implementation and privacy issues? Do cookies come into play? Uh, you know, it's going to be certainly different in the, the European Union than it is here in the U.S., blah, blah, blah. Gosh, I mean, it's almost like we have to reinvent the whole idea of safe settings and preferences and so forth. Oh, you know, 100%. And the the nature of conversation 
is that you know real conversation is uh, is vague and real conversation is fragmentary and real conversation is about people spitting out little bits of um, of information and signals to each other which the other person then assembles so you know the, again you'll you'll have had this experience of trying to use a voice interface and getting the wrong syntax and the thing can't understand what you're saying because hey you know we're it's it's still behaving like uh, like a command line interface that's not a great voice interface you you need to be able to cope with more ambiguity and actually that's a benefit you know really what you want is a is to have a conversation with a, a device a system a service that understands you so when you say you know book me a train ticket to to london next thursday it's got a pretty good idea of when you want to travel, um, because it knows your patterns of behaviour, um, and that's the sort of thing that you'd say to a human assistant. You know, this human assistant needs to know your patterns of behaviour, needs to know something about you. Otherwise, you might just as well key in the the information. That's so interesting. So, I, I, you know, I, while you were talking, I was thinking about what is the closest analog uh, to use in designing these types of systems that comes from the you know, the traditional world or universe we've lived in, and it seems like it's talking to a customer service rep by phone where you can't see each other, you have no physical cues or affordances, you, you really don't have that much context, if any, and it's not so different. And you know how horrible those conversations are, and part of me feels like we can't even, as humans, have conversations with each other in that context without them just, for the most part, being awful. Uh, yeah. And it's not t- totally fair, but I mean, you know, anytime you interact with a large organization in a customer service context, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be happy when you hang up the phone. However, <laughs> those people may have a crappy system that has information about you, uh, and that system, you know, ideally would help them have context and understanding about your your behavior and your needs and so forth. But the truth is those systems are often old and they've been messed up by accumulating years of, they're, they're accumulating years of poor design decisions across corporate silos, which makes everything even worse. However, if you're designing a new system uh, that is completely uh, automated, your new system may not only be a better design, but it may have better access to patterns uh, that the human the system is talking to exhibits. In a way, it sounds like there, there could be a strong possibility of having better conversations with, with systems or computers than we have with humans. Wow. Uh, no, you just you know, opened up a huge world there. Some interesting things. Um, so on that last point, could we have better conversations with systems than we have with, with humans? Even on a very simple level, there are some things that people seem more comfortable about sharing with computers than they do with humans. And that, to me, was this totally counterintuitive uh, finding that, um, so a friend of mine is doing this sort of work in, in financial services, and he's like, People are much happier to talk to our bots about their mortgages, <laughs> and they're you know they're ready to, to to share information with a bot. Also, been 
talking to people engaged with um, with uh, people on on depression and suicide helplines, and again, there some types of people happier to have those you know have certain parts of the conversation with the bot. I'm I need to be very careful there because there are things that bots are are terrible at, and you need to handle you know automated conversations in sensitive, dangerous situations very very carefully. Nevertheless, um, you know, there's some factual information um, or emotional information that sometimes um, people are happier sharing with bots. So that, for me, was completely counterintuitive. The emotional aspect of a, of a conversation is hugely important. So, you, you know, we're talking about call centres and you know, a friend of mine is uh, a, a kind of a, a call centre doctor, if you like, um, and he he goes in and, and looks at okay what's going on uh, in in this call center how can we improve um, the performance customer satisfaction from those you know terrible calls that you described um, and you know so a simple thing he'll just look at okay which of the call center operators are getting the most thank you letters he says you know what it's always a tiny fraction. And of that tiny fraction, most of the thank you letters are being got by a even tinier fraction. And it's all down to emotional intelligence. So, you know, you can be running a, um, uh, a, you know, a call center for um, medical insurance. And somebody phones up and they say, hi, I've uh, been diagnosed with cancer and I need to know, am I covered for this? And a lot of call center operators will say, let me have a look for you. And the important information in that conversation was, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And the great call center operators will say, okay, how are you? In, in our conversations, in our interactions, making sure that we serve the, um, the user, the customer, the other person's emotional needs is hugely important. And often overlooked, you know, often these sorts of interfaces get designed as though they are simply about transacting information. And, you know, really, communication, human to human communication, human life is, uh, is so much more than that. And the transacting emotions is really important. But, you know, again, I, you know, I, I agree, human intel- uh, emotional intelligence is, is, is critical. And I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see if we can design systems that at least approximate that but I don't know if this is part of emotional intelligence but the idea of focus and patience seems to be something you would really want out of a human or a system that is that you're contacting to get help from and if I'm talking to a human who's working at a call center and I am the you know 35th person that they've talked to today it's the end of their shift they probably won't focus very well because they're humans and how can they it's just you know they're they're human they can't Mm -hmm. and um and 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 patients may also be you know unfair to expect at that point and and some humans in those jobs don't never had it to begin with which makes you wonder why they're there but you know if they're getting paid out of a pittance i guess you know those companies get what they pay for can can these systems maybe Maybe that's not a replacement for emotional intelligence, but it, it's certainly something like the, the having infinite patience and 
infinite focus seem like they could bring those systems quite far along compared to those. I think uh, you know a lot of call centers already try to try to hand off um, you know the 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 most routine tasks to you know to IVRs to you know press one if you want accounts press two if you want um, and uh, you know I can see why they do that uh, from the you know they do it in a way which from the 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 user the customer's point of view um, is 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 really tedious and certainly. You know, if that communication could be handled more like uh, a human being, uh, then it's far more elegant. And yes, you know, you can you can then leave, um, you know, hand off um, the the simple tasks to uh, to a machine and the and the more complicated tasks to your more adept uh, human operators for sure. Giles, this is so interesting. It, and now I'm looking at how long we've been talking and how much longer we could be talking. And um, it's probably, I'm, I'm probably making you late for dinner. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap us up here. But again, this is such a fascinating topic. I, I really wish maybe you or someone would write a book on this. Uh, I'd certainly love to hear from whoever is interested. Um, and uh, also, I, I do want to remind people that Giles is going to be presenting on this topic on April 25th as part of the To Be Designed uh, virtual conference. That is the number two, be designed, those words spelled out, dot com. And uh, Giles and six other really smart people are going to be taking us on tours of the near future of design, uh, the stuff that is far out enough to be exciting like this sure is, but not so far out that you can't imagine working on it, which clearly we're doing on this call. And thank you for that. Giles Colborn uh, from CX Partners in the UK, author of Simple and Usable, which a second edition will be coming out uh, later this year, I believe. We're hoping. And uh, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, it's been fantastic talking. I'm looking forward to, to be designed.